Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown Podcast. This is Mass Live's weekly Red Sox show, and I'm your host, Chris Cotillo, joined, as I frequently am, by my co-beat writer at Mass Live, Chris Smith. It's been a busy week for the Red Sox. It's been a busy week for us as we got to travel and actually go to road games and see a ballpark other than Fenway Park for the first time since 2019. I went to New York for two days to City Field. Chris had the pleasure of going to the newest ballpark in baseball, Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, for the weekend. So uh, plenty to discuss from that road trip. We're in the middle right now of the Red Sox facing the Tigers in a cold and rainy Boston. Um, but Chris, as I'm sure you agree with me, it was really good to get back on the road. Obviously, everything's still via Zoom. It's a lot of challenges, but to actually go to a different ballpark, get some Marriott points, all that type of stuff, it was uh, a nice return to uh, glory for the Mass Live Red Sox beat last week. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, getting out of the house for the first time in a year, you know, <laughs> getting on a plane. Uh, my plane was full. I didn't expect that. I thought like middle seats would, you know, not be occupied or mm-hmm. whatever. But I mean, it's funny because you go into an airport, you go into Logan and they have like these separating, you know, social distance. So like you can't sit in certain seats, but then when you get on the plane, everything's packed. Right. <laughs> So I had a lady apologize to me because she sat next to me. She's like, I forgot about social distancing. I was like, does it yeah, matter? Your fault. Does it matter? We're going to be on the plane in two seconds sitting right next to each other. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I, I flew to New York too, just because they were playing the Mets and it was easier, but um, my flight was actually empty middle seats. I guess it was Delta and I think they're still doing it. So I think it depends on the airline, but from the, from the baseball point of view, what were your impressions of just obviously you were thrown into as I took the easier two day trip at a place that was 20% capacity and you went to a place that they're allowing hundred percent capacity. Is that right? And then just yeah. how, how, what the crowd was like, how weird was it seeing that crowd? And then your impressions of, like I said, the newest stadium in baseball open last year. I think it was awesome. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if I agree that there should be a hundred percent capacity at a, at a stadium at this point, maybe in a couple of months, but like, you know, in terms of atmosphere, you know, it felt like baseball again, uh, you know, cause I've sat through so many dreadful, you know, games without fans last year. And then this year with, you know, what is it to start the season? 12% of the Red Sox and they're yep. going up to 20%. So right. like, it was an actual, like, it got loud in there, as, as Cora said, and I can attest to that. It got loud in there, and it was it was pretty exciting. There was a lot of Red Sox fans there, you know, and just a lot of people just getting back to regular life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and and obviously every 
everybody and every state and every stadium is doing it differently. And, and as you said, next week when the Red Sox welcome the A's and Angels into town, will be 25% at Fenway. So it'll be good to double the capacity that we've seen so far, though. If it's a night like we've seen the last couple in terms of the weather, it might be around 10, 12% capacity uh, again. So let's get into the baseball that we saw in the last couple of weeks because, you know, I saw two really, really, really well-played games at City Field. You know, 2-1 uh, effort Garrett Richards shoved, kind of silenced the haters a little bit there in the first game. And in the second game, Nick Pavetta against Jacob DeGrom. The Red Sox win that one, one nothing. Clean games, clean baseball. Red Sox pitching was outstanding. I know the Mets offense is, is not, you know, a, a bunch of world beaters, but still, you know, that, that really, to me, was clean baseball. We just talked about this before we started rolling, about if they play up to their competition in Texas against a bad team, they – Dropped three out of four. We're sloppy. We saw another sloppy game in the opener against Detroit. They won 11-7. But as I tweeted last night, maybe the worst worst played game of baseball in the history of the league. Yeah, Bill Koch didn't like that. And I actually agree with Bill Koch there. He thought <laughs> five, five games were worst, at least last year. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you are probably forgetting last year. Last year was terrible. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think in, in, in Texas um, – they should have won three or four of those games. And I'm just not, I'm not saying that because, you know, going into it, the Red Sox were what, you know, nine games over or whatever. And Texas was 10 and 15. By looking at the way that they played those games, they had two of those games in hand and they, they threw them away. And um, obviously, you know, you can't have Ottavito coming out like in that last game when you need to just, you know, tie the series, go back to two, you know, he's throwing balls. It's like, you know, he's not throwing strikes. Just throw the ball down the middle. Right. And, um, you know, and so um, those were, there were two games there. There was one game they should have lost, but there was, there was two games in there. They, they should have won. And uh, it was, it was just not a well-played series by them. I, I tweeted out right after with the game story. I was like, this is a poorly played series. And, um, you know, the, the whole series, the, the, the bottom of the lineup wasn't producing, and so the top of the lineup was producing, they were getting runs. The Red Sox bullpen was giving it up the lead. And then the bottom of the lineup couldn't help in getting back into the game. And so, yeah, it was just, this is not good. And, um, you know, they should be the, the type of team that they've showed they are through, you know, however many games they played before that Texas series. And, you know, those two games in with the Mets, they, they showed that they should be winning like a series like that, three games to four or at mm-hmm. least, you know, tie two, two. So I just thought it was a bad performance. And then last night, um, you know, you, you got a nine to three lead against the worst team of baseball. Um, as you tweeted out before the game, what, what a team average of one ninety five or something like yeah, that. I was shocked by that. I know, but, I know offense is down. I know they're bad, but still that's, that's jarring to see. I mean, Miguel Cabrera can't hit. He's batting mm-hmm. third. And they have to bring in their closer for five outs. I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's and again, I mean, Bobby Dalbat made that error, but you know, again, throwing strikes was a problem yep. in that. Darwinson game. nibbling, throwing too many off-speed pitches, walks two guys, and then they have to go to Barnes, who, you know, luckily for them was able to get out of it on two pitches on a, on a Cabrera yeah. double play ball. And then you know, it was lights out in the ninth again. But that's a weakness of this team. I mean, yes, Barnes has been lights out and Andres and Sawamura and Valdez. And for the most part, Darwinson, they've been pretty Whitlock. good. Yeah. Whitlock's obviously been excellent, but he pitches once a week. So, um, <laughs> but, but it just feels like, you know, even though there's nine guys in this bullpen, like they're 
an arm short. You know, Austin Bryce, I saw someone tweet it last night. It might have been Red Sox stats. Like, his time on the roster is is probably coming to an end. I mean, he's CRA is like eight. He's, you know, kind of non-competitive whenever he's out there. And then you have, obviously, the struggles of Ottavino. It hasn't been pretty. Josh Taylor. Um, it just feels like, you know, somebody either needs to step up or they need to start reshuffling the deck. I know you, they have your guy, Eduard Bizzardo, um, ready. A couple other guys they just claimed, uh, Brandon Brennan, who I don't know much about, uh, off waivers from the Mariners. But they have some options. Up. Yeah, great change up, apparently. Um, so it's it's interesting. We talk about the bullpen, and you think about the moves the Red Sox made, even in, you know, my first two years covering them 18 and 19 but obviously mostly last year like there is bullpen shuffling every day we haven't seen one change made um and obviously bryce gets a long release because he's out of options you're gonna have to dfa him if you want to move on which you know they might air in the next few days but no moves and uh they're kind of sticking with this this cast and in a group that at times has, has blown games as we saw over the weekend yeah, Bryce hasn't looked good. And obviously, you know, he went into yesterday's game, I think, with a 3-5 ERA, but he, he hasn't looked good with that. And, you know, and obviously it blow it, you know, bloated up there. Yeah, so I always talk about my guy Bizarro, but you know, as Alex Core said, he's a strike thrower. I think he called him a strike throwing machine. And I was recently talking to bullpen coach Kevin Walker, and you know, he said the same thing. He's like, Yeah, you know, he, he threw a walker two in his first outing. And, uh, but that was just getting, you know, he's had some stress there. It's his first outing and this guy's a strike thrower. So I would add him to the bullpen. Um, you know, they obviously need guys that can throw strikes Ottavino, you know, even with his, you know, dominant seasons, like when I think it was, uh, what was it? 2019 with the Yankees when it was really dominant season, but he had over a five, you know, five walks per nine innings. I think it was like 5.5 walks per nine innings or something like that. So he's always a guy that is going to walk people. Um, Which is, averages over four per nine for his career. Yeah. And so like, he's like Barnes before this year. Like I know Barnes mm-hmm. probably didn't have that big of a walk rate, but like, it seems like he just, you know, nibbles and, and he's like, Oh, if I walk a batter, I'd, I'd rather walk a batter than give up a home run here. And so, um, which is exactly contradictory to what the Red Sox are trying to get these guys <laughs> to do right now. I, you know, just throw a strike, just throw, I mean, like, you know, his stuff is good. Like, you know, when you look at it, the, the velocity's up, the shape of the pitches are good. It's just that he's just not throwing strikes. And so that's what the Red Sox are. Saying. I mean, if you've got really good stuff, throw it in the zone, you know, and that's what's made Barnes so successful. But, Ottavino was like, I don't know, maybe he just has trouble throwing strikes because, you know, after the game the other day, he was like, you know, I wanted to get ahead and I just, I just threw a terrible pitch. And, you know, he's going on and on about like the, the breakdown of the first hitter. And um, so, yeah, so that, that's concerning. Uh, Bryce is concerning and um, you know, they need to, and, and Kevin Walker, the bullpen coach also told me that the important thing with Darrington, that's like, you know, separates him when he's has a good, when he has good command and when he has bad command, it's all about release release point for him. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of trust in Darrington. I think he's got really good stuff, but he's got to work, you know, up in the zone with his fastball and, you know, do this stuff. And he's got to command it. And just right now they just, they need some people that can command. Yeah. And one, one last point on Darwinson before we move on from the bullpen, but you know, as good as his numbers have been, as good as he's been since making his debut in 19, he's still a risk to implode kind of at any time, you know, that just kind of happens from time to time. So we were, one thing we were talking about 
is the roster construction. Obviously, it's been 14 pitchers, 12 position players the entire time. Uh, we were talking about a point that Chris Hatfield made on Twitter that they haven't used Phyllis Valdez in 10 days. There was a stretch where they didn't use Darwinson for seven days. Whitlock, like I said, he's you know only pitched seven times compared to everybody else's you know, pitched more than him other than the starters, and they clearly uh, have a different role for him. Um, with Andres, with Whitlock, with Valdez, three guys that can give you multi-innings. Do you think it's too much to have nine pitchers, nine relievers there when you have clear holes in your lineup and, and some clear issues there, especially in the outfield. Yeah. So I quote tweeted Chris. I was like, yeah, that's a good point because, you know, I mean, if, if a guy like, you know, Valdez, he hasn't thrown in, in 10 days. So like, you know, core talk today about, again, talk today about the benefit of, you know, having an extra reliever on the roster and that's how, you know, this helped them stay healthy, but it has it because they really they're not using you know one of them right now yeah and um you know could that spot be more beneficial for a guy like chavis to come up and and maybe he goes on a run and he you know he hits better than cordero i think he's a better hitter than cordero don't you yeah i mean i, I was thinking <laughs> you know how i and i think i said this you know to you and our group chat today like how how must chavis feel about how the Red Sox feel about him when Franchi's getting this long of a leash. You know, I think that's just, that says a lot to me. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember that group chat. So I think you must have some other friends, but anyway. Um, <laughs> well, you, you also miss things. <laughs> oh yeah. I do miss things. Um, like every, but, like every company email sent to you in three years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. Thank God I'm here. That's true. Um, but yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, then, you know, you can, you look at it and even if they don't want, they Cora said back in spring training that he wants uh, Chavis to focus on the infield. So, you know, can you replace Chavis with, you know, Cordero? Can you, can you option Cordero down to Worcester and then replace him with Chavis? Cause that leaves an outfield spot, but Marvin Gonzalez is playing plenty of second base and he can play left field and, you know, and he's playing some first base too, Gonzalez and, you know, Chavis can go back and forth from first and second. And, you know, he's not a great outfielder Chavis, but, you know, at this point, if you need him there, you need him there. And I just, I think he's a better hitter than Cordero right now. It's not like I'm giving up on Cordero totally here, but like um, he needs to, because, you know, last year were, there were some promising signs and swing and miss and stuff. And yep. four and, walk, four strikeouts and 42 plate appearances, I think last year. And so uh, there were some positive signs there. Um, you know, so, it, it, you know, I, I think though that, uh, Alex Spear brought up a good point with Cora. You know, he asked Cora about like this guy just hasn't played a lot of games, and how cognizant are you guys of that? And and um, you know, could he use like you know could he use some minor league games here because you know he hasn't played much because of injuries because of coronavirus the coronavirus shutdown. He really hasn't played much in the past two three years, mm -hmm. and so if this guy's you know he might need to play every day to get into you know, to get into a groove and, you know, so why not send him down to, you know, uh, Worcester, I almost said Pawtucket. Why, why don't you right. just send him down Central to Worcester? Mass. <laughs> Central Mass. Why don't you send him down to Worcester and or over to Worcester, wherever the heck Worcester is. West. West. Send him west to Worcester. There you go. And, um, I'm sure the company and, loves that after all the investment <laughs> in, the, in the Worcester office and all that. <laughs> I'm very geologically challenged, though. Uh, it's, it's you mean geographically? 
did I? What did I say? Geology, yes, Dave rocks. <laughs> you're really, you're firing on all cylinders tonight. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's good. All right, yeah. Geographically, I'm challenged. There you but go. But anyway, um, yes. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, then he can get some at bats against both left-handers and right-handers. Like he's in there consistently every day. Maybe he gets in a groove and then he comes back up and he hits. You know, but right now it's just not working out. He's striking out too much. I, of course, talked about him like focusing on making contact too much and. Yeah, so it's either a strikeout or recontact. I mean, if you got a guy mm-hmm. that's going to strike out 46% or whatever he's doing right now, last time I checked, it was about 46% leading the league. 42. Um, 42. So he's made a little bit of contact recently, but it's been soft contact. So if you had a guy that's striking out 42%, you want him to hit some home runs. Mm-hmm. And that's the good thing about Hunter Renfro right now is he's finally hitting some for a little bit more power. He's got a couple home runs in the past week. So that justifies the strikeouts. Uh a guy that you have written about that I also think that is going to have an impact on this team is Danny Santana. He starts a, a rehab assignment at Greenville this week. And it sounds like as soon as he's ready, I would expect that Franchi probably doesn't have his roster spot anymore. Yeah. So like everybody's kind of saying like Jaron Duran, Jaron Duran and, you know, uh, Heim Bloom was asked about Duran yesterday and it seems like they're going to take a slow approach on him. And that's what it's always seemed like, because if they, you know, I mean, they could have brought him up during September last year to see how he fared in the minor right. leagues, but they, mm-hmm. they want to see him play in triple triple A games. Right. And they don't want to just base off, you know, his performance at the alternate trading site Worcester and, you know, in, in spring trading. I mean, we saw Jack in, you know, when everybody says like Jaron Duran's their best hitting outfielder, you know, I see a lot of fans write that. My father-in-law is included in this. Um, you know, you, you've got to think back to 2013 when uh, Jackie Bradley was the best hitter on the spring training roster. He had never played triple A. He never played above double A. And he makes the opening day roster. And he's back down to, you know, he's back down to Pawtucket in, in three weeks after, he, you know, he hit like one something. And so um, you got to look at that as like Duran. I mean, he, you know, he needs time to develop and they're going to take their time. So I think Santana is a perfect option. Um, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with Santana, I guess, offensively. I mean, one year he hits 28 home runs another year, you know, he doesn't hit for power and you know, the on base percentage isn't great, but like he at least is a guy that's a professional, like, you know, Marvin Gonzalez and, and Kike Hernandez that even when they're not hitting, they're making good plays in the, in the infield and they can help out all over. And that helps in general. So, um, you know, I think that once, if, if somebody doesn't replace Cordero, like Chavis, you know, soon, then once Santana's ready and Cor said on, I think it was Friday or Thursday or Friday that Santana, you know, wouldn't be available or wouldn't be ready, uh, coming back from his, um, foot infection. And he also had the shoulder, uh, surgery last year. Was it shoulder or elbow? I don't know. One of the two, um, he wouldn't be ready for a couple of weeks. He'd, he'd need a, at least a couple of weeks in a rehab. So we're talking about, you know, you know, uh, a little later than mid-May. So do they have to find something b- before that if, if you know, Frenchie c- keeps struggling? One injury update, uh, Chris Sale throwing off a mound for the first time. Major milestone for him. Seems like there's finally some tangible progress in this situation. I know they're not giving us a timetable, but it seems like, you know, he is going to contribute to this team this year after all. And I know some people were doubting that. Finally, he's getting to a point where for the first time, uh, I think it was Tuesday morning, he threw off a mound. What were your thoughts on on that and what that means for him moving forward? 
I mean, I think it's taken a long enough time. Buster only wrote in January, like they're going to take a conservative, you know, painstaking approach. I don't know. It's not painstaking, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's been painstaking. Yeah, it has been. It has been. I mean, like, seriously, you had reported in January that he was, you know, going to throw off a mound by late yep. January. And that was, that was I the know, plan. I know you, I'm sure you have good sources on that one. So, mm-hmm. like, that was the plan. And, and, you know, he did have the bout with coronavirus and, he, you know, he did have, what was it, a sore, sore back? Was it in yep. there? Neck. Yeah, uh, sore, neck sore stiff, back. Both neck stiffness yeah. and then a back. Oh, yeah, issue. yeah. The back issue. That's what I'm thinking because uh, Corey or Heim just mentioned that, that right. he just had a back issue. So, yeah. So, like, I guess there have been setbacks, but is, was that enough that, like, you know, in spring training, he couldn't, you know, finally get off the mound? I mean, we saw him the first day of spring training. He was healthy, right? And um, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, it seems like a long time in the waiting, but yes, I mean, he'd be so helpful if they could get him back by August, even if he's, you know, going out there and giving them four or five innings a game, you know, to have Chris Sale, you know, back there and doing that, that would be a, a large help. And, um, you know, especially a playoff push, because this team should be, a, you know, a playoff caliber team going into August. If it's around the trade deadline, then that's your top trade deadline acquisition. I mean, you don't have to go out and get somebody if you're getting an ace caliber like that. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that, um, you know, by that time, they'll have a good sense of where Hulk is in terms of like how much they can do with innings and stuff. So they've got a lot of guys at that point, you know, they've got some depth and they've got some options, you know, as I've mentioned before with Hulk, you know, it's not just that, you know, that they want to throw a split finger fastball 25 to 30 times in the minors where he's only throwing it two or three times a game here. Uh, you know, and they want him to develop that pitch. Sure, they do too, but, you know, he hasn't really pitched much in the past couple of years. And and so they probably are cognizant of innings with him. And and so when you get to that point, you know how many innings you have with Hauk and how you're treating it and and you get sale back. And, and yeah, it could be a huge, like, upgrade to their rotation. I want to end with this. We'll do a, a little game. I'll give you three names, and I'll give you my thoughts on them too. But uh, almost in honor of our friend June Lee, who uh, won his Around the Horn debut the other day on ESPN. Pretty I saw big that. That's yeah. big. We're going to do a little buy or sell. Um, I'll give you that, a name. Is that what they do? That <laughs> is what watched, they do. I haven't watched that show in like 10 years. Yeah, uh, it's one of the No, no insult to June. I would have watched it if I knew he was on. But yeah, <laughs> I haven't watched that show in like 10 years. All right. Well, you can buy or sell these performances so far. The first one I'll give you is Nick Pavetta. Six starts, 4-0 ERA, 3-2-3 ERA. 33 strikeouts, 19 walks, which is a little bit high. Um, but the Red Sox are 5-1 and one in his outings, and he is looking um, since the trade to be a strong piece of the rotation. Are you buying this level of performance from Nick Pavetta? Yeah, because the stuff's always been there. He just hasn't you know, done it. He hasn't put it all together. And I still think he hasn't put it all together this year because you look at an outing like yesterday where he throws 100 pitches in five innings. He's had difficulty you know, throwing strikes at times this year. And if you actually look at the walk rates in his career, there have been good years where he's had low walk rates, so he can do it. So if he could put that final piece together, um, you know, I look at this as the real deal. I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I think he is. I think, I don't think he, this is, he, I don't think he's going to pitch at, at this level and be an ace or a number two. I think he's a solid number three. And that comes from just the walks. And he's he's kind of got that, to me, like a pre-2019 Eduardo Rodriguez, 
nibbles a little too much the pitch count gets up there and obviously he's been you know really good but if you look at him through six starts you know he has uh fewer innings than uh, i think everybody else in the rotation or maybe with the exception of um of richard so you know he just to me you know 100 pitches to go through five innings last night even when striking out eight guys that to me i think that needs to be a focus but um, you know, I buy that he's going to be a, a long-term piece of the rotation for sure. Next one I'll give you is uh, Garrett Whitlock. I know he's a favorite. You wrote about it today, so I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, so I think, you know, Whitlock is their best pitching prospect right now. I mean, you can go neck and neck with Hauk, as I put it. And, you know, and obviously that has something to do with Mata having the Tommy John surgery. But um, they they view this guy as... Uh, you know, when they drafted him in the Rule 5 draft, let's put it this way. When they drafted him in the Rule 5 draft, they looked at him, you know, as a long-term starting pitcher. They didn't know at that point that he was going to, you know, have better velocity than he had pre pre Tommy John surgery, and they didn't know that he was going to have a changeup that, you know, has got, you know, downward depth and and you know movement to it. That's one of the better changeups in the game right now. And I guess you can thank Andrees uh, for that too, you know, mm-hmm. and. So, I mean, look at how everything comes together in life. You know, you, you sign injuries, they become throwing partners, and Whitlock becomes the best pitcher in baseball. You know, I mean, <laughs> all those things had to fall in place for Whitlock to become the best pitcher in baseball. But really, right. um, I like him. I think that he's got the right attitude. Uh, there's interesting thing he said, um, you know, about like, you know, like he's not really, like he can be used in these pressure situations because he doesn't he doesn't put pressure on himself. He's just happy to be there. Like he was talking about how he went out to Globe Life Field and was just looking around the stadium. He's like, "This is cool. This is cool to be here." And there's a lot of kids that would you know kill to to be in my shoes, and you know I should appreciate it. And he looks at it as, um, you know, I'm I'm not looking for the results for myself. I'm not going to get down on myself. I'm I'm totally looking at it in, in a team perspective. Like, you know, I, I want, you know, I don't want to give up runs for the team, but like, I'm not going to look at everything individually. Like he did, like he said, he did pre Tommy John surgery when he, when he was rough on himself, he said that, you know, he used to get really mad when he didn't pitch well. So I think he's got such a good attitude right now. And I think that he's got such good stuff. And the other thing that I mentioned in the article today was like command I mean, he's only, he's only had two walks in like 30-something innings between spring training and the regular season. So if you've got that good of stuff with us change up and all that, and you can add command to that, then, you know, that's why he's right there near the top of the list in terms of, uh, you know, uh, a prospect starting pitchers and, and why he could be a valuable piece to this team going forward this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's obviously kind of homerish to to also buy him, but uh, as we did with Pavetta, though, I gave a caveat there, but I think this guy is, you've found for nothing a top starting pitching prospect. It's pretty ridiculous and pretty rare, and anybody involved in the process should be commended for it. Yeah, I don't I think, think homer at all. The next, oh, we'll go two more. I think I said three, we'll do four. Alex Verdugo quietly, and he homered again uh, last night. 314 average four homers, seven doubles and 899 OPS heading into Wednesday, just continuing the tear that he was on last year makes me feel like he was underrated heading in there when he was acquired um, for Mookie Betts. Uh, as Alex core hinted at the other day, uh, he had a better April than Mookie Betts. Obviously I think that's going to even out over time, but um, I'll start by saying, I, I really think that the Red Sox have a franchise cornerstone player here. I think he's still underrated somehow. I don't know why. Um, defensively he's good the uh, 
whole thing about him being able to play, you know, three defensive positions and, you know, be pretty good in all those to me has been kind of a revelation too. And offensively, you know, he has more pop than I ever thought he would. So to me, I, I just, uh, I, I'm really high on Verdugo. I think they should try to lock him up to a long-term extension. They should pay him early. They should have done it in spring training. I'm as high as you can get on him. Yeah, I mean, look at, um, I don't know why people didn't think, like why he came to Boston as like, oh, he's just another player because he was the top prospect in in the Dodgers organization for a couple of years, right? And I'm looking at some Baseball America rankings right now. I just pulled them up and he was number 35 on their top 100 list pre-2019. He was number 37 on their pre-2018 list number 58 on their pre-2017 list so it's like he was a uh you know i mean and he was he was drafted high i don't know i think it was like the second round or something Mm -hmm. but um like he he came with a pedigree of like you know having um you know being a a top prospect you know and and uh and he showed it with the dodgers you know i think that maybe people got too focused on the back issues and that he hadn't played in a half a season or whatever. And, you know, Oh, uh, like back issues are never good. And this is a young player, but that hasn't, I mean, we say, we say on a day that, when he was scratched yeah. for the back issue, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, he really hasn't had a problem with the back and right. um, you know, it's like, it's like with JD Martinez's foot. You remember when that was an issue? They, mm-hmm. they like, they had to in re- college when that was an issue, Chris, <laughs> and they, they had to restructure the contract. It took a week. We were in spring training and uh, uh, Dombrowski didn't even go onto the backfields to, to, um, you know, to, to watch practices for that entire week. Cause he didn't want us to come near him to ask him about it. So uh, mm-hmm. Dombrowski, like who's always around was nowhere to be found that week, but it's the same thing. Like, you know, what, what's the problem with, JD, there was there was no problem, and you know Verdugo. So yeah, I think he's he's a good player. One thing that Core makes the point of all the time is like he's a throwback type, where everybody's like you know the game's like become a you know a strikeout homer and walk type game, and you know he he wants to make contact, and you know it's he's not focused on launch angle, but you know he hits the ball out of the ballpark, and he's just a good overall hitter. The last one is a guy that uh, has been kind of my most disappointing Red Sox to this point. I know there's other guys that have not played well, but the hype around Bobby Dahlbeck heading into the season was uh, pretty substantial. You know, I picked him. You, you picked him for American League Rookie of the Year too, right? We both had yes. that. So yes. you also picked Kluber. So I don't know for Cy Young. So I don't know why any, though he shoved the other day. So you're looking a little bit better for that one. Um, but Dahlbeck heading into Wednesday's game and, uh, I'm sure he'll hit three homers tonight just to make us seem stupid. We're talking about these stats, but 190 average, just a one homer, four doubles, a 551 OPS strikeouts in 29 out of 79 at bats. Um, that's just, it's, I know he's, he was unlucky at first, but uh, it was kind of like a slump. And then a period where we're like, Oh, he might be breaking out of this. And then a slump again. And here we are um, with a, with a sub 200 hitter and a guy who, um, has been kind of constantly disappointing all year. Yeah. Before I talk about Dahlbeck, I'll just say that, you know, um, with Kluber, he has won two Cy Young, so it's not an outrageous <laughs> thing to go out and <laughs> predict yeah. a Cy Young. So, for, by, uh, that, so by, that lo- by that logic, Roger Clemens has won seven. Why don't you pick him this year? <laughs> well, I mean, he's only a few years off of it. But anyway, yeah, with Dahlbeck, he was always a slow starter in the minor leagues. Um, you know, if you go down his, his years, like – 
I, you know, Portland, I remember he was making hard contact and the ball was get, getting pushed down in the, in the cold weather of Portland. Um, but the strikeout rates, and so the power usually tends to go up when it gets warmer with him. And the strikeout rate usually tends to go down as the season goes on. And he becomes more comfortable with a, you know, with a new level. However, if I was the Red Sox right now, I would think about like, okay, um, what are the other, I mean, what are the other options if we, if, if they send him down to like, you know, Worcester for, for a little bit, just to, you know, just to get in a groove and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if there are too many options. He's been really good against left-handed hitters. It's just, I, I, Alex uh, Spirit tweeted out something like a week ago or something. It was like nine for, I think it was right after he hit the home run in, in, with the Mets in, in the Mets series. He was like mm-hmm. nine for his last 10 against left-handers. So he's struggling against right-handers and Cora's mentioned it now twice that it's timing issue and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I mean, as much as Heim Bloom has been uh, cautious to not rush players up, it's not like Dahlbeck had an overwhelming amount of games at AAA. I think it was like right. 25 AAA games. And, you know, and he, you know, last year he, he only played at the alternate site before he came up. So, uh, I guess there is concern with him. I mean, I think that the the narrative among the Red Sox writers and things that they were writing for the first you know month uh, before this last week, where he's been oh for whatever, was he's unlucky. He's hitting a lot of hard balls, and he's right. You know, getting that cast supported that. But over the last week, it it you know it's, it's not, not looked good. It's not that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's timing or whatever, but do they have anybody right now that they could throw in at first base? I mean, uh, no, really, right? Chavis, Chavis. Santana. Chavis. Yeah. So, so yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm selling Bobby Dahlbeck, but I'm not buying him as much as I was about a month ago. Yeah, I'm not buying him as much as a month ago too. But you know, I think Tim Heyer said some interesting thing today about like how you know I look back at this point in his career and he'll be able to help a younger player uh, that's struggling like later mm-hmm. in his career. Um, I think he is a good player. I think he has potential. I just think he needs to to figure some things out. And and so I'm not buying him anymore for rookie of the year, but I think that he can figure things out. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that won't be your only wrong uh, award prediction. It might be my only as Tyler Glass now con- continues his Scion campaign. That's Chris Smith. I'm Chris Cattell. This has been the latest Fenway Rundown. We'll be back next week with... One final welcoming the Woo Sox episode. Try to get some special guests in here as well. So uh, enjoy.